Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Well, good evening, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for joining us again to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our Wednesday night Bible study on the book of Leviticus, the best book that's in the Bible. We are in chapter 11 um, after having a, a, a lively discussion on the first narrative that we had encountered last week, which was the death of Nadav and Avihu. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit is present. Uh, he's, he's always been with us, and he said he would never leave us. And so we just as, of acknowledging his presence and, uh, and welcoming him once again into our lives. Uh, Sharon, would you be able to um, pray us in? Lord, we just praise you and thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for your love for us and your faithfulness to us, Lord. We thank you for your provision for all of us and how you've guided us and directed us through this pandemic. We thank you for uh, your work in the lives of everyone on in podcast land as well as here, Lord. We pray that you'd speak to each one of us today, Lord. Uh, give us some fresh new wisdom and insight from your word, Lord. Inspire us, encourage us, teach us, uh, rebuke us and correct us and, and, and come alongside us, Lord, and help us to walk with you, Father, in the truth of your word. We praise you and thank you so much for your, your faithfulness in all that you do. And just thank you for the chance to get together with these guys and girls and share together through your spirit, Lord. Lead us and guide us, each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, going over the notes from last week. Okay, they're in the chat box and they should be up and attached. Uh, next to the podcast, for those that want to read along, Leviticus chapter 10. Nine chapters on sacrifices and ritual reached its zenith with the appearance of the presence of God in the tabernacle. The Lord God now resided with his people. His first action was to consume the offerings on the altar and begin the eternal flame to be preserved by the sons of Aaron. Chapter 10 provides a narrative break between ceremony and laws, with the tragedy of Nadav and Avihu. Somehow, the two sons of Aaron failed to observe the appropriate form of worship, of which they had just been instructed, and they offer something called strange fire. Sometimes it's easy to think that fire is fire, as long as it burns, right? This is not the case. Moses had given instructions to discern the sacred from the profane. From this story, we see that failure to do so can bring grave consequences. What caused Nadav and Avihu to behave in this way is unclear. Some commentators suggest they offered incense from outside the tabernacle when the only incense permitted was inside the tent and before the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. In verse 9, the Lord says to Aaron that he and his sons should not consume alcohol prior to performing their service before God. It's possible to assume then that Nadav and Avihu were intoxicated from the week-long preparation ceremony, and in their inebriation, they brought profanity into God's sacred space. The same words that describe the fire of the Lord coming forth and consuming the sacrifice on the altar are now used to describe the death of the sons of Aaron. In verse 3, it mentions that Aaron remained silent. His silence is almost heartbreaking, and it's an expression of quiet grief. 
Incense is very important to the Lord. In Jewish tradition, we worship the Lord with all of our senses, and that includes a sense of smell. Exodus describes the exact ingredients that God delights inside his tabernacle. That smell is forbidden to anyone else. It belongs solely to the Lord, Exodus 30, 34. Two of the three gifts brought to Jesus through the Magi were incense. It's frankincense and myrrh. Moses then forbids Aaron and his remaining two sons to mark themselves as mourning by becoming disheveled and unkempt, nor tearing their garments. Interestingly, the high priest, during Jesus' trial, tore his garments, which, as we see here, was explicitly against the Torah. Moses also reiterates the injunction to discern between the sacred and the profane. Discernment is one of the many gifts and diverse gifts uh, of the spirit. Discerning between the paths of life and death is extremely important. Much of our world and current culture cannot distinguish truth from a lie, holy or unholy, and even the differences between males and females. This path the world is on is not a path that can lead to life. Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, take the bread or grain offering and they consume it. The bread is called the most holy thing. We noted that on the Passover of Jesus, he references the bread and wine, but he says nothing of the lamb or sacrifice. Bread is the most holy thing in which Jesus gives new meaning to. While Aaron and his sons can manage to eat the holy bread, they are unable to feast on the sin offering. Moses berates them for, for this by reminding them that the sin offering provides atonement for the entire community, and it is thus extremely important. The sin offering is also called a most holy thing. Aaron finally breaks his silence to explain his grief to his brother Moses. Apparently, part of Aaron's grieving process had been to fast. It seems that Elazar and Itamar followed in their father's footsteps, and they fasted too. Moses accepts his brother's reply, and I think he recognizes Aaron's deep and personal grief. And so now we begin. Uh, Moses had instructed the people to discern between the sacred and the profane, and the next couple of chapters do exactly that. You're going to see some distinctions and try and figure out um, what spiritual implications we can have, and maybe even some physical ones as well, that these, that these teachings can, can bring to us. So Leviticus 11 is a reasonably lengthy chapter with 47 verses. So open your ears, sit back, and we'll follow along. I'm going to be reading from an ESV. Leviticus 11. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts, whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud, cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. The rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. 
and the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud. It is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters, these are detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these shall, you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. These are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, and the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that are on all fours are detestable to you. Fantastic law, totally agree. You, yet among the winged insects you shall go that go on all fours, you may eat those that have joined legs above their feet and which hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald the locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean, and all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches the carcasses shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever carries their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground. The mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening, and anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose. It must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until the evening, and then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into an earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten, on which, water, on which water comes, shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and will remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean. But whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. If any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. If any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcasses shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. 
And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all floors or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. This is the word of the Lord. All right. What are we learning, guys? Let's have a look. Okay, so we have uh, quite a long list of uh, clean and unclean animals, things you can't eat, things you can't touch, things you can't um, uh, reuse after they've become contaminated. Some things are broken, some things are thrown away, some things are simply washed. And there is a heck of a lot of evenings, in case anybody noticed. And something happens in the evening. It's a very interesting thing. Okay. Um, anything there initially that jumped out at you? Or is it just one of those, well, I'm so glad Moses said it because there was no way I wanted to do that. Um, any ideas? Kate? It's the evening because it's a cooler part of the day. We're talking about, so if flies land on your food, it, we don't eat food where flies have landed on them and probably laid eggs. But the evening is the cooler part of the day, so food is like less likely to be um, rotted. I don't know. It comes across whether it's food or whether it's something else. Like if you've touched a carcass, then you're unclean until the evening. But it is interesting that there's a small quarantine time. Don't we love that word quarantine? Yeah. Um, we all hate the word quarantine, but there does seem to be, even in the text, some sort of quarantine time. Now, let's remember, distinguishing between clean and unclean is not sin. This is different. Just because something is unclean doesn't make it uh, sin. If God wanted to get rid of sin at the flood, he would have told Noah, just take all the clean animals. Right? And, um, and let's also remember that at the, during creation, God looked down on the world and he said, it is good. And he said it was good when it had pigs in it. Okay, um, and so it's it's not that he goes, gee, the world is good. Hey, wait a second. What's that small little pink thing running around in the mud there? Who made that? Really? I did? What, was I Was I not paying attention? I mean, my gosh. No, there is. But they weren't eating pigs. The pigs were, were in the garden, but they were still not eating the, the pigs. Right. We focus on pigs, and, and pigs seems to have become a one of the big uh, kosher animals, uh, non-kosher animals that get a lot of attention. But there's a heck of a lot more animals to find here than, than, than pig. Catfish. Yeah, catfish is another big one that um, pretty much destroys the diet down there in Louisiana. But um, 
That was my first question. Like, why? I mean, your first reaction as you read and listen through all this, like, why do certain creatures make you unclean and certain creatures not? It, can you, is there any kind of defining characteristics? Or that's a that's that's a very good question. Um, I remember uh, reading a couple of commentaries and having a discussion with Mordecai on Monday about this, and um, and some of the commentaries. We're going along the lines of, well, this is this reflects um, very healthy diet. You know, God's very concerned with your health. And then you think, um, okay, that doesn't make any sense, though, in light of the new covenant when you can eat all this stuff. So, you know, it's unhealthy for you in the old covenant. But once you get to the new covenant, magically, it's great. And God's so not, no longer concerned um, with your health. Although food laws are not unique to the Jewish people. All cultures have a variety of foods that they prefer, don't prefer, or um, consider um, taboo. And uh, whether that was culture, tradition, religion, access, sometimes animals were not, you didn't actually have access to certain animals or foods, so you just physically couldn't eat them or not eat them. Uh, And so... It, it's 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 a it's a very interesting discussion, but let's remember Moses has said in the last couple of chapters distinguish between the sacred and the profane, and then to help people, he begins to just to, to tell you. I'll I'll give you a few hints of what's um, not clean and what is clean. Uh, David or Vida, have you got a hand raised? I was looking at the idea that you have to break an earthen vessel if it had certain things happen to make it unclean. And you, you're not allowed to actually scrub it clean. But I was also curious, and I was trying to connect this to the idea that during the time of when you have to get rid of chametz from your various pots and things, right, you're allowed to scrub that chametz out, right? But here you're not. Is that right, Moti? Is that with the kosher, uh, the laws of Pesach? Yeah, he's nodding. Yep, so that's true. Yes. I just, I just find it interesting that, an earthen vessel, the Lord says, you're not allowed to clean this thing. But today we seem to have moved that into the, the region of being able to clean it up. Yeah. Let's remember that the, the, the designations of clean and unclean occur before the Torah is given on Sinai. Okay. So Moses, not Moses, Noah, guy with the boat. Noah was asked to bring certain animals of clean and certain animals of unclean. Well, what does that mean to him as a Gentile prior to Mount Sinai, prior even to the flood? So we're talking about the Andalusian world, which is another interesting question. We in our culture or our, often in our tradition, faith tradition, we don't like the idea of um, distinguishing between clean and unclean. And when we, when we stop doing that and we decide that everything's okay, we end up in a very dangerous place. We have to be very careful. But is there a good verse, Aaron, that can kind of sort of summarize the difference, like in the older, like in the previous, like, writing? No. The first group of um, animals, the ones that walk on the land, the distinctions between, um, you know, something very physical, right? Chewing the cud, cloven hoof. And then when you get into um, the fish and water creatures, it's also very easy to distinguish. It's fins and scales. But then when you get into birds and grasshoppers, 
and things like that. The distinction is just like, well, actually, these are the things you can't have. And there's like 20. Okay, I counted them up. There's 20 birds you can't eat. But there's no, no reason to say, well, you can't eat this because of this reason. Just you don't. And um, that doesn't mean that the eagle's bad. Let's remember, it doesn't mean that the pig is bad. It doesn't mean that the grasshopper is, you know, good, you know, these, these things. These are just things you can't eat and cannot not eat. There is a, um, these are physical expressions of holiness and, and we've got to read it in that light as opposed to pointing the finger at an animal and going, oh, this is absolutely horrible. Um, why would God have even made such a thing? Yeah, and that was more my question, like the definition of the actual two words, not necessarily the animal. But, you know, where does it say exactly, okay, this means clean and this means unclean? Not really. Is it highlighted or is it more based on details? Your guess is probably as good as mine. There are lots of, I mean, there's various, every every Bible and every comment, commenter who writes a comment to any of the books has to come up and handle these. Both Jewish, Christian, non-Christian, you know, everybody's got to have a go. And at, at the end of the day, you know, it's very, it's, it's, what does it really mean? It seems to be that God is teaching us something about spiritual discernment. And it also has a practical way of physical expression of holiness. There's things we shouldn't do and things we should do. Okay? And, um, and so these laws of, of clean and unclean, now these start to touch on everyday life. The last couple of nine chapters, they touched on our worship life, which is not our everyday life. You know, obviously, we don't sit in the temple every day unless you're Kohen. Okay. But, you know, if I'm just average Aaron and I've got a job, these laws now start to touch on my life. These are the ways that God actually begins to have an effect on, on, my, on me and my family. Okay. Janet and then uh, Mordecai has some comments. Yeah, two things. Um, I live right next to the ocean. Lots of people go crabbing. They get prawns and shrimps and so on. They're all bottom feeders. And so I believe God sort of, not sort of, God's made these animals to sort of clean things up. Now, the second thing is we live near a place called the Raptors Center, and they give demonstrations with biologists and so on. It's, it's just a beautiful place to go. We take all our guests there. Aaron, we haven't taken you yet. And they, the thing is happening with raptors because of pesticides and so on. A lot of them have been suffering from extinction. So they are trying to promote people's understanding of how important the raptors are, such as the, the eagle, um, turkey buzzard, all the owls and all these things, which are considered unclean and we don't eat them. But something very interesting comes up when they talk about one of them, and I forget which bird it is. But it can actually handle botulism, which, of course, is terribly, terribly, I mean, it, it kills us if we have botulism. And these birds have the mechanism inside them. And I'm not sure which raptor it is. They come out with these birds and they've trained them and they bring them out in front of you, these biologists. And they're saying, we're discovering things about these birds that we did not know, but we know now. And I just believe that Okay, all of creation is good. God said it was all good. And there's a reason he made, he made them. And we don't eat the crows. We don't eat these scavengers. I mean, probably if we're starving to death, we might. But I just, I think it's really wonderful how creation is arranged. 
And if we decide that we don't want to eat prawns and crab and all that, and our neighbors just love it, they row out to the crab traps all the time. And I will eat crab. I don't consider it's going to make me sick. Um, pigs in a hot climate used to be very dangerous because they 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 um, they decompose quite quickly. But now there's so many antibiotics and so on in pork that it's not as dangerous to eat it. Maybe more dangerous now <laughs> with all the antibiotics. If people choose not to eat pork, I mean, to me, that's absolutely fine. I mean, it says, and I'm not sure which epistle, you know, one man eats this, one man eats that, and one doesn't and one does. Don't judge people what, what they do or don't eat. So, yeah. but it's still important. There's something about God at this. He is, he does distinguish even in creation what is good, what is not good. So, I wish you could all come and see the raptors because it's absolutely amazing. Owls and all these. I mean, they're, they're, they're wonderful. We would love to come. Andrew from South Africa had some interesting comments. I'll get to them in a minute. Um, but the first one is God is concerned about the environment and his creation. His hand is, is, uh, is over all. And these instructions do, do teach us something. And we will continue to investigate until we are we can hit upon something that uh, speaks to us. Uh, Mordecai. First of all, Moshe wrote the basic of these laws in Leviticus 11 and in Deuteronomy chapter 14. And all the details were given verbally by him to the children of Israel, and it was you know, passed from generation to generation. So what we have in the Bible is the very basic law of Kashrut. I actually sent an email to my, uh, one of my rabbis who is an expert in kashrut and asked the real uh, meaning of kashrut, like how does uh, eating a clean animal make me holy as he is holy. So he says the creator, God, desired a world where the creatures would have a choice to connect with him or go on our own messy way. He conceived of us as creatures who consume food, and that would be one of the areas where we would have this choice. If so, just like there have to be foods that we can eat as part of that connection, so too there have to be foods whose eating will disrupt that connection. So basically, by, by fulfilling the divine commandment, we are connecting him. But if you don't fulfill the commandment, we disrupt that connection. So it's like we are elevating ourselves and connecting with him uh, by eating it. For example, here, in another explanation he wrote down, uh, kasher, like kosher, means fit, right? And also means, uh, and also called asur, in which Hebrew means tied down. So it's, it's tithing us, maturely, you know, spiritually. So that's, that's, one of the views we have in Judaism, because there is no united doctrine on it. So every single community uh, has their own doctrine on the Kashrut or the view of Kashrut. So, so in, a, in a sense, what Mordecai, is, what, Mordecai, what Mordecai is saying is actually makes a lot of sense. You connect to the Lord. It's the same way that Lord Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you're connecting through Lord Jesus, who is the Holy One, right? So you're made holy. Exactly. I see what he's saying. Okay. That's a nice point. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, there is this idea of, of eating and drinking is actually is has a connection to, to the Lord God himself. And uh, many of the festivals themselves involved 
food and um, eating and drinking in the presence of the Lord. And then as um, Andrew had said in the chat, which I think is, is something that the one verse that you ask, Sharon, that sums everything up, I think, is, is, the, is mentioned several times in the Torah, but it's be holy because I am holy. And, uh, and I am different, I am other, I am good, I am s- unlike anything else that there is in this universe. And actually, I want you to be like me. And how do we do that? Then um, we do that by, uh, by connecting with him, having a relationship with him, um, uh, listening to him, putting his words into practice, etc. And then when he gives us this all, he gives the people of Israel, let's remember this is, but as connecting to the household of Abraham, what are these things teaching teaching us? I mean, obviously, food, I think we're all going to admit, is it frightfully important to humans, is it not? Yes, kind of need this stuff all the time. And in this in this last um, several years of pandemic, you know, we've been very conscious of people dying from from uh, these illnesses and things like that. Um, if still, at the end of the day, what kills people the most? Anyone know? What actually kills people the most? Diabetes, heart attack. <laughs> That's correct. Yes, heart, heart, heart disease. I was going to say, I was going to say sin. <laughs> yeah, sin. Okay, yeah, killed a lot of people. Yeah, ever since the beginning, we're all dying. Yeah, uh, that's very good. But it's true. You know, it, it's between diabetes and heart attack. That's one in five people. That's what people are dying from. And how do you get diabetes and heart attack? Oh, you can get it from genetics. That is true, and various stresses, etc. But it's um, it's uh, the largest impact is diet, and um, isn't that interesting? We we make very poor choices in our foods, which is incredible. We have incredible wealth of information. We can Google what's inside anything. In fact, often they print it on the label. You know, you can pick up a, a McDonald's burger, turn it upside down, and it'll say, "This is not good for you," and we'll shove it in our mouths anyway, and we'll pay the guy. The privilege of having done so. Um, we we it's amazing that we can have the this this information and yet we will not take care of the creator, the creation, the um, the thing that the the body that we've been given. So I think this um this this chapter teaches us that we we really need to have that spirit of discernment to be able to distinguish between things that are good and things that are not so good. Uh, for us okay uh kate you had a hand raise yeah it's just it's not me i'm not clever but i've just read from here um the study bible and it says the lawgiver said that foods going into the stomach cannot defile a man rather the evil proceeding from his heart defiles him that's mark 7 15 to 23 he said this when the law of moses was still in effect why then did he declare through moses that certain animals were clean and others were unclean, and only the clean ones were to be eaten. Whatever answers may be given, one seems to stand out as especially important. The eating of clean animals forecasts the cleansing of both Jews and Gentiles in baptism to form them into one body, church. Okay, interesting little commentary there. We, we do notice that within a lot of this, water's involved in making things clean. Once you've touched something that is unclean, remember, uncleanliness 
is transferable, just like holiness is transferable. Uh, we have an effect on each other. And uh, once we become um, unclean, then one of the ways of getting rid of that uncleanness is not to kill an animal in sacrifice because it's not a sin. Okay? You, you wash and you wait, which is an interesting thing. It's, you know, normally we would say, oh, yeah, baptized, and then instantly we're great. You know, as soon as you hit out of the water, you're full of the Holy Spirit, and away you go, you start doing miracles. Um, it's interesting here that there is this uh, element of washing and cleansing, and uh, which has an interesting um, uh, physiological effect as well, uh, and uh, of getting rid of impurities and, and, and actually being quite healthy, obviously bathing. Um, but then there's also that quarantine period as well. And this had an effect on Jewish communities in what notable events, several notable events in the history, but what's one of the big ones where following these, these interesting rules actually preserved them? Anyone know? During the bubonic plague. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, there was this sort of... Um, when you go through through those these rules, it says, you know, if something drops inside your food, you've got to break the pot and everything becomes unclean. So there was a, a, a strong um, awareness within this community of dead animals. So you find a dead animal, you don't just kick it down the road, right? You actually assign someone to go get rid of it. And, okay, they become unclean, okay? But they can wash and then they can wait and they'll be fine. But that had a health effect uh, as well as a spiritual effect. It had a physical health effect on, uh, on the community. Um, I, there was a few hand raids, but I can, for the not life for me, I cannot figure out who's first. But, um, okay, because, it, because you're a lady uh, and we're chivalrous, Yvonne, you're up. Yeah, I think it's interesting and in, uh, how it talks about in Chapter 11, right, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean. And this, this is the same um, phrase that was given to the priests in, in chapter 10, 10, which they have to make a distinction. And we're called to be holy and priests to the Lord. So the distinction between the clean and the unclean. And, and I know there's a lot of controversy, you know, the whole thing about um, in Acts about, you know, the, the council in chapter 15 and the four items. And some people say, well, these were just, that was it. That's all that the Gentiles are supposed to hold on to. And then at the end of Acts 15, it also says, after he talked about those four issues, um, for from ancient generations, Moses has uh, had had in every city who proclaimed for him, he's read every Sabbath in the, synagogue, in the Sabbath in the synagogue. So there's a possibility that some say that that's just the beginning. And then as they, as the Gentiles would go to synagogue and would understand more then they would have more instruction and it would just be slowly given to them. Others believe that that's it, and uh, it's it's not going to get resolved today, but God does make a distinction. I think we need to be careful about that. I particularly need to. <laughs> um, but the other thing, just to throw it out there, um, is, uh, is the whole concept of God being a God of life. And a lot of the animals that are... Um, given to us as or to the you know either to the jews or that's talked about in leviticus is um the animals that are usually have something to do with death the whole concept of not touching a woman when she's in her menstrual cycle you know the losing of blood and the losing of eggs and losing of life and god is always is a god of life and we just came back from the beach and we went down south and it's like a big 
um, they eat a lot of oysters and and a lot of like these catfish and and and, and crabs and they're all like Janet was saying you know they're all bottom feeders and um, and shrimp you know they clean up the poop in the in the oceans and lobsters I used to love eating all of that but now I it's not because I mean I'm a gentile it's not trying to be a Jew or anything but I definitely reevaluating and of course need to reevaluate eating you know Doritos as well with all those components and everything else but we're called to distinguish but we're called to distinguish we're you know we're we're, we're we're called to distinguish between holy and unholy and of course each one will have their own personal um how do you their own probably the holy spirit will speak into the heart of each one in our family we have um six people and each one think very differently about this particular food laws but we are called the distinguished <laughs> just like the levitical priests between the clean and the unclean all right rabbi shimshon it's even in your title. Shalom, everyone. Uh, and uh, it's a very interesting topic. Um, of course, when we talk about um, the kashrut, um, Christians always speak to say, um, when God tells Peter to kill and eat of all those abominable things when he saw in the dream, it's, um, it's, it's a kind of um, a pass to begin to eat everything, whether kosher or not, you know. Um, but the, the, that dream was talking about something else. The dream was um, specific about um, those that the, the Jewish people call unclean. Those are what it was referring to. Um, I want to believe that um, there, was a, there was a wisdom in God to, to institute this law. And um, when you get to the end of the, of the verse, it says, these are the Torah. It said, Zot Torah um, ha, hab, Abe Hama. You know, this is the Torah of these um, animals that's concerning animals, birds, and everything that you will be eating. And um, if God calls it his Torah, then it's important. Um, if we cannot know it now, then it, it doesn't mean it, 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 it's, it's not important. But of course, we know that it is not talking about sin when somebody sins against God. Um, when it talks about being unclean in this place, it's talking about ceremonially unclean. And um, God wants his people to be in every way pure before him. Either you're sanctified in, in, in not sinning, but beyond that, you must be also clean in every other way. Um, there are three different words that are used for laws in the Torah most of the time. Um, there is um, kukim. There is, um, uh, what's the other one? I don't know if... Um, uh, Rabbi Malti can help me, but there are three words that I use. But one of them is talking mitzvot. about mitzvot, kukim, and um, I'm trying to remember the third one. Now, one of them is talking about whether you understand the law or not, you keep it. Whether you understand it or not, you keep it. The other one is talking about the, the mitzvot is talking about the one that is rational. When we say don't kill, I mean, we understand why you should not kill, don't steal. We understand that it's rational. But when we talk about um, a dot, a dot talks about the one that God gives the children of Israel. He says, um, because I brought you out of Egypt at this time, so you keep this law. So that is a dot. Then, but um, Kukim is talking about whether you understand it or not. It's, it's, it's about you don't need to understand it, but I want you to just to keep it. 
Um, it boils down to how much we love God, um, how much we want to pursue this God, how much we want to make ourselves presentable to this God. I mean, there are a thousand and one reasons why we should not keep kosher, but if God says so, um, I, I think we should give it a thought. Um, it's not going to be possible for everyone to keep kosher, um, especially in this part of the world uh, where I come from in, in, in Africa. There's a lot of food you eat and there's a lot of um, spices. You have this, um, what we call crayfish, and they're grinded and they're made into spice and they're made into a lot of soup and you, you cannot pick it out from the soup. So <laughs> you go into restaurants, you're hungry, you just have to eat. And um, so, but as much as you can, I think you should try to avoid it for, for, for God's sake. Um, I, I met a rabbi once that says that if you're stuck on a land and you see a pig, uh, this is about survival. You just kill the pig and eat it you, because you need to survive first. You need to be alive before you can keep kosher. So um, there are some circumstances, yeah, you, you have to eat those things. It's not uh, because if you find yourself in places where you don't have um, those um, kosher food, I mean, you just have to eat what is available. Um, most of the Kabad rabbis that comes to Nigeria and Africa, they, they usually ship in their food. They have to ship in the food for the rabbis or else uh, it will be very difficult for them to, to be around. So you could see that in some circumstances, except you have this kind of logistic to ship those food for, for yourself, it's just practically impossible. But what is in your ability to do, uh, I think you should think to do it. Rabbi Shibshon, you should teach in a yeshiva, mate. you're up got a hand raised have we considered the the passage in mark 7 where jesus addresses this um it was just briefly mentioned um i mean i think it's it's quite relevant and actually there's a phrase which is in parentheses where it says thus he declared all foods clean now i know there's some debate about that whether that's kind of a later insertion by an, an edit, editor but in general it, i mean jesus is making the point it's not what goes into a person that defiles him it's what's in his heart and comes out ne- neville is right because when you look at the greek it actually uses the word says it goes out purifying all the food so that's where it comes from yeah okay anyone need to make a comment on that one i mean my observation on this is at least that it's clear that we can't make rules for other people in this regard and that's and and Paul addresses that in, in Romans, as one of the places anyway, in the, in the latter chapters of Romans. Um, you know, don't criticize people for what they're eating or if, if they find things that they can't eat and, and so on. Um, so these, these are more kind of personal choices or things you do because of your relationship with the Lord, not to apply to other people, uh, you know, not to regard people... Um, negatively for not taking your own view on this. Right. You know, um, just just to chip this in um, from what Neville just said, um, I know the, the UN and uh, most part of the EU have been speaking against um, those from Myanmar that, um, that eats dog. You know, um, in, in, in China, they have this, um, this feast they do and they eat a lot of dogs and there's so much talk against it. I know they're not speaking about it in a in a kosher way, but they say no dogs are lovely animals, you don't need to eat. So, but you know, you see people always talk about some of the things that people are eating that is not comfortable with them, you know. 
But um, just to, just to buttress your fact, yeah, we cannot judge people by that. Um, if we if we read in the book of Acts, um, when the Royal Hakodesh came, um, most of the people that um, that um, that 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 were there, they were Jews. But after then, we saw other communities that were receiving the Holy Spirit that Paul visited, and there is no mention that these people were keeping kosher, so they could still have the the, the pork meat in their mouth, and they still received the Ruach HaKodesh. So they, maybe they, they, they ate some things that um, are not kosher, but they still received the Ruach HaKodesh. So it's not the way we judge things that um, is going to make us holy. Because um, if you look at the um, life of um, Job, I always give that as an example. You know, what happened Job? Where were you when I created this? Where were you when I created that? And Job will say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I have spoken before, but now I will not speak again. Then Job finds his fault. But the next thing, God turns to Job's friends and says, Job has spoken well concerning me. You know? So you see that it is not the way we judge. Even though God was chastising Job for, you know, you didn't speak well. But now he turns to Job's friends and says, Job has spoken well concerning me, but you guys have not spoken well concerning me. And so when we, when we look at things, in this fashion, we have to look at it from, from the people's growth. Um, it's not necessarily that because somebody's eating pig is going to go to hell. No, that person is not going to hell. Um, but um, it's it's more like a sanctification, the, the growth of that person with God. And um, those are uh, what I would term the personal part of the relationship with God. And all the revealed word of God, right? The full counsel of God from day one to day, day 99, you know? I'm going to um, go over to Mordecai. Um, I just want to just recap a few things. Um, as we can see, a lot of our discussion at its core is coming up to relationship. What sort of relationship do we have with, with the Lord and how do we relate to his word and his teachings and his instructions? Mordecai? Yes, I just wanted to say that Jews and Jewish believers of Yeshua should keep some sort of biblical kosher. I'm talking about the very biblical kosher standards. I'm not talking about the kashrut laws that were ma made by rabbis later, because, later on, because Jesus said that he came to fulfill the Torah, not the end the Torah. And because the Messiah, the Messiah, should encourage Jewish people to obey the Torah. If we just say that he just uh, made everything clean to Jews as well, then we are making a huge problem about the identity of the Messiah, because the Jewish Messiah does not change Torah. He asks Jews to obey. So, for example, there were God-fearers. We see it in Acts, right? Arabs, Kurds, they were in the temple. So they didn't eat kosher, but they were God-fearers. So in this case, Jews should continue to obey the Torah as it's written. But as a Gentile believer of Yeshua, you don't have to. And you never had to. You know what I mean? So like God-fearers never had to eat kosher. The problem was between the Jewish believers of Jesus and the Gentile believers of Jesus. And then uh, James found the re uh, uh, remedy for that problem. He said, <laughs> let everybody eat what they have to eat. And Paul, Rabbi Shaul said, if you are circumcised, just stay circumcised. No, meaning if you are Jewish, if you keep the Torah, just keep the Torah. If you are not uncircumcised, you weren't. Uh, committed to keep the Torah. Now we are not. Still, you know. But I'm not. I'm not talking about the you know kasher So we all need to go super fancy. No, 
Just follow the biblical as it's written. You know, yeah, that's what I want. So, say. hey, Marty, a Jew who is a vegetarian will no longer be a Jew. He'd be classified as a vegetarian, right? <laughs> uh, that's too funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw an, an interesting uh, spanner in the works. When, when Paul spends three, three chapters in Corinthians talking about food with Gentiles, he actually is talking about food sacrificed to idols. And we, we wrestled with this for weeks at Christchurch, trying to figure out what does this actually mean where we can or cannot eat food that's actually attached to an idol, when on one hand Paul says they're not really nothing, the idols are nothing, and yet at the same time turns around and says, oh, but there's demons behind them. And you go, oh, hang on. And then when we realize that most meat in, in some countries is all halal, which means it's actually been, been prayed over to a, to a false god. Can you or can you not eat? It's very interesting, this discussion. However, let's remember that <clears throat> God says, I am the Lord your God. So God claims the right to be able to speak to our lives in every aspect of it, and that includes our health, our food and our diet, and the way we should take care of his universe. Can I, can I add something to what you said, Reverend? Oh, yeah, okay. For example, Rev. David Pelegi, who is a very great Torah scholar, I, I should call him like that, he never let me to eat anything from the kitchen of Christchurch. He always asked me to go buy something for yourself. He would just say, okay, Morty, you are now a believer, just go do whatever you want. He always sent me and Rev. to go buy something from Mamila Mall which cost me a lot of money, by the way. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, this, this joke about um, um, Potiphar and um, Joseph. Um, um, Joseph had control over everything in Potiphar's house, apart from his kitchen, because Joseph is going to be cooking kosher, and uh, that's not palatable for Potiphar. So it's just a joke. <laughs> okay i'll start with janet and then to read i've met jewish people who say you know the one thing that we really need to do is keep this was in israel keep kosher in our house they might not be heavily observant you know it might be traditional not definitely not orthodox so i i see that keeping kosher for the jew is very still very fundamental to being a Jew, as Mahdi is saying. I think God has never taken that away because it, it really does, I mean, it, the world may find it very strange, not like it, think, oh, look at those people, they think they're better. No, it's just, God wants to keep that distinction. And Paul said too, he said, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but there are Jew and Gentile. In salvation, they're not. But we still have women, we still have men, bathrooms, because God's never taken away that distinction. I just want to say, I think a lot of Christians have really misunderstood when a, when a Jew comes to Messiah and say, here, you must eat this ham sandwich to prove that you're free. Very offensive, very offensive. And we should, when we have Jewish people around, we should never put out those things that are going to offend if they're happy to come and eat with us. And when we have Jewish people over who might not even keep a very strict kosher in their home, we would still just serve fish. I would not serve meat. I would not serve something. I, I just want to honor the fact that that's how I would honor them. Now, happening more and more in our country, my little supermarket in this tiny town has two kinds of chicken. Some of it's halal and some of it is not. And I 
make a point of not buying the halal things, which are coming more and more evident even here because we have so many more Muslims in our country and the big supermarkets have halal sections and so on. Um, but, but, but if that's all I could get, then I think God would make it clean. I, I pray that we don't come to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 uh, when I was in China, um, I was in parts of China where they had had bird flu and everything that had a wing was dead. And so a city of 11 million people turned around and what did they eat? They ate everything that crawled. And, and, um, and somehow, somehow they made it tasty. I don't know how they did it, but they did. And, um, and I obviously I was hungry, so I ate some of it too. I was very surprised with what I actually ate. I remember taking photos of it and sending it back to Christchurch and people would say, Aaron, you're insane. And for a brief moment, I probably was. But they did make it tasty. And, yes, I prayed before absolutely every meal and afterwards. <laughs> um, but it, 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 there, there are certain situations, of course, and, and but let, we've got to look at the um, the bigger picture, the one of the fruits of the one of the gifts of the spirit is discernment, and another fruit of the spirit is self-control. Sometimes we eat things because we lack self-control, and it actually can be quite detrimental to us. And perhaps we should take a little bit more thought towards uh, uh, what we should and shouldn't eat. Teresa, our our, our London lady. Thank you, Aaron. I, it, it's really been said, but I'll still say it in a different way. And that is at, at the heart of these, I'm not talking about, as we've seen, you know, it gets carried through by Paul and so on. I'm talking about when we just look at Leviticus. You could also say that at another level, this is about, I think you said it, Aaron, God's sovereignty. He has a right to say, this is what you will do. You're my people. And also obedience, because that is something that is teaching us, isn't it? Um, you know, we don't necessarily understand all those rules. Why um, certain animals with certain hooves are forbidden and others with different hooves are not and all this kind of stuff. And yet at the end of the day, if you don't understand it, God is still saying, do it. And uh, I'm just talking about the basic level. And I, I agree with all that's been said about there are circumstances where, of course, you have to use discernment, but that's taking it on further. But that, that was all I wanted to say. And I have a few years ago written to various supermarkets about the halal meat, because actually you, you can't buy lamb. I don't think anywhere. It, there, was, there was one place, but I'm not sure if they still do it, where you could get lamb that wasn't halal but everything else was halal and uh, I think we've lost the battle on that because it most of it comes from New Zealand and they have the halal practice there wow so and, and of course we've got halal um, abattoirs where they slaughter as well I mean I hate it but there you are I heard that that little don't I've heard that little meat is not halal oh you may be right so um, I will I will check that up because I was buy my meat in a little because of that. I, mm -hmm. It's the way the animals are killed. I don't like that. That's and and again they're being prayed. Dutchy organic in Waitrose used to be um, non halak, um, non halakic. But I don't know. We have to see non. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because most Christians don't um, they don't mind. Um, you know that there is something halal or not. 
but many people don't even know whether there is anything called halal. You know, they just say, oh, well, it's meat, it's meat, let me just have it. And um, for, for, for so long, we've thought that, yeah, well, what is sanctified is sanctified, so we can eat. And so, um, but for, for, for the Muslims, they, are, they are continue to insist on what is halal. And because of that, the market has to create something for them. Just like, of course, for the for the for the Jews, also the market had to create something for people that continue to insist that okay, they want something that is kosher. Um, it's not very popular outside um, Israel, but of course, you um, Rabbi Modi will let, will let us know the K sign on the on the products will make you know that this is a kosher. In fact, there's a we used to buy it, and they say the wine is kosher, and um, you know things like that. And that's a, that's a good start, but. I think the knowledge of it is what is um, lacking in the church. We don't have the knowledge of um, this Exodus and um, this Leviticus 11. And so nobody thinks that um, anything can be wrong or anything can go wrong from eating anything. Yeah. I'd just like to add something that, uh, that Mordecai said and uh, to, wrap, to try and put it in context of Acts 15 and, and Mark 7. Now, let's remember that Mark 7 occurs before Acts 15. And so at Acts 15, we're now having a discussion on can, can what, what sort of laws apply to Gentiles, and particularly to do with table fellowship. And obviously James doesn't say, well, we heard it from, uh, you know, my brother or my half-brother, whatever, that all foods are now clean, so it doesn't really matter anymore. No, what he says is these are the rules for Gentiles, for Gentiles. He never turned around and said, now Jews can, you know, kosher laws is, is out of the way. There still is this distinction between Jews and Gentiles and there, the distinction between diets and, and things. Why are those there? These are, it's, a, it's, a, it's to teach us, I think, some of the things that we're discussing here. What is our relationship to a holy God? How do we act holy in his presence and to the world? And what does that signal to them? Um, what happens if we happen to eat non-kosher food? You know, what, does that, what does that mean? Jesus turns around and says, well, pass this out. Come on. You know, and uh, what happens if I touch something unclean? Well, by the evening, you're fine. It's not a sin. You know, we don't have to go around and, and, uh, and, and, and kill things. But there is, a, there is a, 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 a gift that we get from the Holy Spirit of discernment that we need. We need those that have that discerning spirit within our community. It's a blessing from the Lord. and we need to have the 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 gift the fruit of self control when when it comes time for us to make a choice about what we should and shouldn't eat and that also just goes for our general health you know um, to go may the lord by his spirit help me to have self control so that i don't want to you know have uh, 10 pounds of sugar in my new can of coke perhaps i should um, have something different uh, you know, go for my soda stream and have bubbly water. Um, you know, there's a there's there's, there's some things we should we should do. Okay, Rocky, then Yvonne, and then the butterflies. Okay, yeah, I wanted to say I I find it to be uh, the instructions to be for everyone uh, for their health, not for long life, but for quality of life. And if you can cut out some of the dirty stuff, you're gonna live a better life because of it. Um, I think uh, originally the Judaizers wanted to separate all believers from either your Jew or Gentile, but I think Yeshua said, if you accept, then we're all Jewish. <laughs> okay, cool. 
Yeah, that, 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 was, that, was, that was Monday, wasn't it? They grafted in. Yeah. But when you look at what Rocky just said, it's so many places in the Torah, it says the same law applies to the foreigner and the and the Israelites, but to the foreigner, the same law applies. And so if we take it in that way, um, then that means um, we, we shouldn't be differentiating um, what the Jews should do and what the Gentiles should do. Um, the uh, the only, only thing I'll say there, uh, Rabbi Shimshon, is I'm not eating grasshoppers. I'm just not, okay? Um, the one thing I like about the Israel is whenever we have a plague, and we get them every couple of years. There's sort of you know, just descent from us up from Egypt coming in from Africa. And uh, the army flies their planes out and they try and bomb them and they spray them. And, you know, and, then, and then, 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 then they appear in the markets. They really do. In Jewish markets, big piles of, of, uh, of cockroaches and um, sorry, grasshoppers, locusts. And they figure out grasshoppers and they make them and they make them tasty. And then there's all these articles that appear in the newspaper all saying exactly the same thing. Why are we eating this? Just because we're allowed to doesn't mean we should. You know, these kinds of uh, discussions. They're chocolate uh, covered. They're really tasty. Is it chocolate covered? Everything's tasty. <laughs> yes. Okay, Yvonne, you're up. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that in this chapter it talks about, it's like an, an official list of what's what's ritually pure, you know, what you can eat and What's ritually impure is what you're supposed to avoid. But my question, I guess my my curiosity is that before Leviticus 11, there was uh, talk about purity and impurity in Genesis chapter 35 with Jacob. And um, when they, you know, in chapter 35, Jacob said to his household, put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves and change your garments. So I'm wondering if that, this concept for them of purity and impurity had already been established earlier prior. He makes this comment about purification. So could could there have been a possibility of going into the Egypt already understanding maybe the um, the idea of purity and, and impurity and, 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 and I don't know, in it, it various forms? Before Mount Sinai, because we see it in Genesis 7, we see it in Genesis 8, 35, which you've just discussed. Um, and uh, so, so the, this idea it already exists, and uh, and then for hundreds of years they are in Egypt, and uh, when they were slaves, obviously they had a slave diet. They weren't in control, obviously, a lot of their own diet by this stage. Um, and then once they are a free people, um, God turns around and says, "This is my Torah," as Shimshon says, I, I, "I am the Lord your God, and I am holy, and I want you to look like me." And so there's this. There's, I need you to distinguish between sacred and profane, clean and unclean, and um, and 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 what are the spiritual implications of that? And this is one of the fruits. This is uh, one of the gifts of the spirit, which has a real impact in our families, in our societies, in our lives. Once we lose or stop, perhaps not even lose, just decide to stop distinguishing between clean and unclean, right and wrong, truth and a lie we are on a very fast trip downhill. And uh, so if that's what was given to them so that they can be in the image of God and be like their creator, then I know there's a distinction between Jew and Gentile, but there's also other distinctions between Jew and Gentile. And um, sure, we'll get, we'll get to them. At the moment, we're just dealing with the 
and I guess to, to just to consider in each one in his heart between uh, what, how the Lord speaks. Um, and then just one more thing, you know, um, when Noah's coming out of the ark, of course, he said everything, you know, that walks, whatever you can eat, every, and the, the change, but there was only a pair of each of the unclean. So if they killed mama giraffe, you know, there would be no baby giraffes. And, and then you've got all these clean animals, many sets of them. So I, I'm wondering about Noah and that concept. Shimshon's put something in the chat, which is I hear that the sages say that when the Messiah comes, all things will be kosher. That's actually is a thought. Now, where did that thought come from? I hear. I uh, hear the question. Rabbi, asked. it's Akshapira. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, there's one. So no, before, he, before, yeah, but he's yeah. Perfect. So during the Second Temple period, when the Jewish people have returned from exile in Babylon, and where very diligent now in the study of Torah, and we're really creating lots of literature and discussions and lots of different groups coming along. People were also thinking, what happens when the Messiah comes? Like our hope and our dream is for the Geulah, is for the redemption. And when he actually does come, what happens to this book called the Torah? What happens now? And so there was there were several thoughts. One thought, obviously, would be simply, well, when the Messiah comes, no change. Okay, even God keeps his own Torah, okay? So Messiah is going to do it and it'll just stay up until, until the sun and moon finally end. Only then does Torah, Torah stop. Okay, that's one thing. There was another thing that said, well, actually, when Messiah comes, there will be some changes in the Torah. Things that we once called clean become uh, uh, unclean, now become clean. And, and, it's, 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 um, and there were discussions on what did that look like? Did it apply to... Uh, certain rules of mitzvot? Did it apply to the chokot, the chokim, the, the differences, the things that we don't understand? Did it apply to the masa'ot, things we've got to do? Um, these kinds of uh, uh, things. And so you, you see it summarized by a guy called uh, Rashi, who said, in the days of the Messiah, pig returns to Israel. So he, he was sitting inside the camp that says, actually, when the Messiah comes, the Torah changes a bit. Doesn't say it goes away. Okay, it just says there are some changes. The Maccabees believed that it changed. They believed they were living in the days of the Messiah. They believed that they were part of the Messianic redemption. So they made some changes to the Torah. And priests got very upset about that, so they ran away. And they formed their own little group down there in Qumran, okay, and these kind of little fringe groups. So by the time you get to the New Testament, the day in the time of time of Jesus, there's a, there's a very lively discussion going on. Going, how does the Torah apply now that the Messiah comes? And Messiah comes along, he goes, he goes like this. And this is how the, what the kingdom's like when uh, when the Messiah is here, because because I'm actually that guy. Okay, so it's a very interesting question. What about Noah, Aaron? Yeah. What about him? Yeah, I'm just wondering what or Madi, what you know about the the clean and the unclean. Okay. Um, well, Mordecai's got a hand raised, so Marty, I'm going to shove the question off to, to Mordecai. Let's remember that Noah is a Gentile, and he does make sacrifices, and and God tells him to take these animals, clean and unclean, onto the ark. Any ideas why he, that would happen, uh, Mordecai? I just want to say something uh, about what uh, Rabbi Shimshon said about the foreigner. Uh, for example, if I go to Nigeria. The Nigerian laws apply to me, you know. But if I'm not there, it doesn't apply to me. So, like, speaking of the foreigner, 
applied only to those who live among them and who visit the Israeli cities. So, for example, it's, it's very logical that they had to uh, obey the law. For example, in Utah, you cannot smoke in front of public buildings and schools and uh, children park. But in Amsterdam, you can even smoke weed in front of public uh, buildings. You know, that's the difference. It's just a foreigner thing is that. And there's a discussion going on in the chat about this thing, new covenant and all this stuff. For example, the new covenant, as Isaiah writes, was to be made between God and the house of Israel. So God didn't say that I'm going to make a new covenant between some other people and the Torah will be in the garbage can because I changed my mind, right? He never said that. So secondly, the new covenant will, will not uh, replace the, the Torah. Even Jesus says, it's very obvious to me. I don't know why people don't, don't understand it. He says, fully I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not one dot or one mark will pass from the law until all be fulfilled. And whoever breaks one, blah, blah, blah. So uh, as a Gentile, you don't have to keep it. Uh, but as a Jew, I have to keep it. So I just don't see the problem. If I push people to keep it, then they can say, okay, I don't have to keep it, and you don't even have to keep it. But we keep it, then why do you care about it? Let us keep it, and you don't keep it. <laughs> as it's written in the New Testament. Well, it's just... It's no, just no, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. That's why the Jewish people don't come to Jesus. Because we are creating a Messiah that is very goyish, you know, that comes and changes everything in the Torah and parties around. There is no Messiah. Just show me a, a one verse in the Hebrew Bible that says the Messiah will come and we will change everything. Yes, there is no verse in the Hebrew Bible that says that. So it applies to me. And why do you care about it? I mean, that's the problem here. Uh, God never said that the New, New Testament will not replace the Torah. Unless he says it. And he didn't say it. As you see it in Matthew, he didn't say it. He says, you need to obey it. But the Jew, I mean, the girl, the Gentile, doesn't need to eat kosher, doesn't need to wear tefillin, doesn't need to... And Jesus talks about tefillin in the New Testament. That means he had a tefillin. He kept Torah. He kept Shabbat. So like, he's a Jewish guy. He's a, it's a Jewish thing. It comes from the Jewish Bible. So please don't try to make it a, a Gentile thing, you know. I'm no offense, but you know, that's the thing. And he made in uh, in you can read in Romans, Hebrews that Paul's Paul talks about it that uh, God uh, allowed Gentiles to come and join his family. There is nothing changed, I mean, about the Jewish people. I'm not being pro-Jewish, pro-Zionist or something, but we cannot just change the word of God. The Messiah cannot change the word of God. There is no like such a thing, like the Messiah will come and encourage people to obey the Torah. As it's written to Jewish people, I mean, because God does not change. God keeps His promises for thousand generations, as, as it's written. So why He didn't change His mind? That's what I. If you don't need to keep it, you didn't keep it. But there are Gentiles who come to uh, Messianic synagogues in Cleveland, and they will keep out, they will tefillin. It's okay if He wants to do that, but He's not uh, required to do that. But the Jew is still is required to keep some sort of biblical kosher Shabbat. Biblical Shabbat, I'm not talking about the laws that don't use cell phone, blah, blah, blah. That's it, you know. All right, thanks very much. Eric? Yeah, your turn, um, Bita. The thing I was thinking about as we're reading this, Jewish people who love the Lord. Imagine how shocking it was for Peter who saw the sheet come down and God saying to him, this is clean now. This must have been absolutely shocking. And whether it's about eating food, not eating food, I think what was God was really showing there 
how div divisive this had come that the Jewish people and we as Christians, we can also be so set on trying to do this thing that we cut off anybody else we see as unclean. And the Lord God was saying, hang on, Peter, you are my people, but I have also in Christ Jesus declared these Gentiles now to be clean. Yes. And so the food thing that is so divisive, and you can see it in these discussions, the Lord is really to Peter showed that absolute shocking image that God had now declared people clean. And we have to be careful as Christians now how we, I mean, food is one way, but other things, we, we have to really be holy and set apart for God, which is important. But we also have to understand that if God loves that other person and is calling them into their kingdom, even though they may not do the things the way we believe in our heart, God has told us to do it. It doesn't mean that God doesn't see them in a different way and we can't ostracize them. And that thing with Peter with the sheet is, is to me just such an eye opener on the shockingness of what God was telling Peter. And in the same chapter later on, right after the vision, a Gentile guy comes and invites Peter. It was about the food. Then why the story continues otherwise? You know. I agree with you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think from our discussion and for anybody who listens on, the, on, on podcast land, um, it, we, we can see that 2,000 years after Jesus, food issue is still a big deal. So let's have a look at the way, again, in, in just a summary, the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron. Moses is prophet. Aaron is priest. And he, and he says, you've, you've, I need you to distinguish between clean and unclean. I need you to begin to distinguish between sacred and profane. And it, it's a, and we let, if we, and one of the fruit gifts of the spirit is indeed discernment. And when our communities fail to do that, we cause the kinds of issues. The, 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 the thing gets bigger as we've, as we've discussed. Once we get into what do we do when Jews and Gentiles want to have fellowship together? What do we do when we've got people from different cultures? And different traditions, and and what what do we do when we sit on an island and we don't have, and when we're now faced with eating food that we particularly might not want to actually eat uh, anymore? Let's remember, it's about the spirit of discernment. Can we make discernment between things that are holy and things that are unholy? Can we have the spirit of self control when those things actually come in front of us? Can we actually, uh, and in terms of health, just the gum rate of, of eating, can we make healthy, healthy food choices? Um, or will we just do what is right in our own eyes, in which case we will become part of that statistic that joins uh, the 20% the you know, on, on heart disease? I find it very interesting you know, that um, I looked it up in, out of all world, the entire world, not just related to east or west, north or south, 16% of all people, uh, of all deaths are heart disease. And isn't it interesting that that's the major killer, heart? And what do we have to love the Lord our God with? Right? What do we have to circumcise? What do we have to make clean? And yet it's the thing that keeps killing us. Well, a large thing. It's just, a, it's a, just an interesting aside. Uh, Aaron, Aaron, also at stake here in all of our arguments is the word Lord, right? Because... The Lord himself said, if anybody teaches anybody to take away or do anything less, he's got a problem to the word, right? 
Yeah. So by saying that certain things don't apply without an understanding of what they're meaning in today's text and previously, we've got a problem if we say it doesn't account anymore. Am I correct? Well, because what's happening now, even though we've got these laws, the laws we see much fulfilled in Lord Jesus Christ, right? Somehow they're continuing because they're still in us through Christ, right? And if we, as, a, as, a modern, as modern Christians, for lack of a better description, start saying that certain things don't count anymore, we are actually taken out of the word of the Lord. Am I correct? Yes, we're not meant, we're not meant to remove or add. Yes, you're right. And it's meant to be on our hearts. So we, we, we take these teachings and these instructions and we study them just like we did today. We, we wrestle with them. We, we just discuss them. We debate them. And we go, what is Moses? What is God saying through Moshe? What is he actually teaching our community? And um, how have we stopped discerning um, uh, good and evil? How have we stopped discerning? And many times these laws actually have a spiritual application. Yes, sure. it's a physical side, but I think, that, I think that it's that spiritual application, which is the precepts of the law, which are so deep. And I, I really think that's what Lord Jesus was portraying to us through his life, was the precepts of those laws. Loving each other just covered everything, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. Paul co continued it with food. Why, if, if my eating meat's going to offend a brother and cause him to fall, I won't eat meat. Yeah. And so it's that concept of we caring the precept of all these laws of what God was saying is about love and Christ Jesus as our center. It's about taking it further, isn't it? We, we study the law, yes. We, we want to understand it, debate it, and all the rest. But it doesn't end there. And the important thing is actually walking it out then in our lives, which is what Jesus did and what Paul did. And what we're supposed to do, isn't it? So that we look to everybody else, a different people, a set apart people who are known for, for, for all these Torah values that, are live, that we're living out in our lives. So they see how they love each other um, and how they don't just give in to all the whims of society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're not gluttonous and all those things. <laughs> have self-control but you know what i mean i think i think that's so important it is and uh and as mordecai has has also said you know gentiles just shouldn't tell jews to start eating pork that's just not right and uh, at the same time we have to have a, a strong uh case of discernment when it comes to foods offered to idols and uh and then and also then by extension, how we care for uh, God's green earth and the animals that are on it and the th animals that we should or shouldn't eat. But, uh, okay, we're going to wrap it up. It's a discussion on holiness. It's a discussion on being like the Lord and imitating him. It's a discussion on discernment between good and evil. It's a discussion about the Holy Spirit that uh, gives us that discernment and, um, and the spirit of self-control. To the honor and glory of God is the, obviously the ultimate aim of all of this, that we would, we would reflect uh, that relationship. We would reflect his holiness. We would reflect uh, that society as, as a witness to the Lord, um, even for the things that we don't understand. And, uh, and sometimes you just have to do the things that we don't understand. And at the end of the, of the age, maybe we will understand that. All right, friends. Uh, I wish you well. I wish you good health. I wish you good discernment on what you should eat or should not eat. May your Sabbath meals be absolutely delightful and delicious.
uh, and may your company also be sweet. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.